Yeah, please have a seat. Uh, so my name's Roger, and I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. And um, so if we haven't met, I, I'd love to meet you sometime, have a cup of coffee, have lunch. Uh, love to hear your story. Uh, this past week, uh, there, there's a website I love to go to. It's called Relevant Magazine. Uh, they, they try to keep up on culture, on God, um, and uh, music. And I, I love those things, and so I try to keep up with them. And this past week, they shared an article that talked about the latest MIT study, uh, Maryland Institute of Technology. They, they did a study and did some research to find out if the movement of nonconformist or nonconformism actually works. And so they tried to find a target group of people in the American culture to find out if nonconformists actually actually stand for what they believe in. So can you imagine which kind of group they targeted? They targeted hipsters. (laughs) So they did a survey and studied um, hipsters. And what the study, what uh, the, uh, his name is, I don't really know how to say his name. So we're going to just call him Gideon. There's other letters in there. And I think he's German. And I'm not willing to spit while I try to say his name. That'd be strange. But he says this on he said this on a, in an interview uh, with NPR. He said what the study found essentially was that when a group of people decide to be different, to do something non-conforming, there comes a point when they all end up adopting the same behavior or the same style. So if you want to know the definition of what a hipster is, if you don't know. A hipster is a person who follows the latest trends and fashions, check this out, especially those regarded as being outside the cultural mainstream. So you have a group of people who want to be outside the the cultural mainstream, but they're following the latest trends and fashions. After the interview uh, was published, the MIT Review Journal received an email immediately after The man was angry, and he sent an email threatening a lawsuit and to press charges against the MIT Journal because they used his picture. Here's the picture. They used his picture, and he said to them, you did not ask for my permission. That's pretty fair. You didn't ask if you could take my picture. You didn't ask if you could publish my picture. You didn't ask if you could use it at all. He actually claimed that the article itself was a defamation of character by calling him a hipster. So MIT, they took the claim very seriously, and they contacted Uh, They contacted Getty Images. Uh, That's a website where you can purchase, um, where you can purchase photos. And the photos that you purchase there come with licenses to those photos to make sure that you have all the written permission that you need to print or to share them online. You know what the link, what picture the link brought up that they researched? It was this one, okay? And so what MIT and Getty Images actually found out was there was not any infringement at all because the man in this picture was actually not the man that emailed MIT. So Gideon, as any good leader does, took to Twitter. (laughs) That was not a political statement. I was just trying to make a joke. You've already seen, sometimes I don't make them well. Okay. This is what he said on Twitter. It took him a couple tweets because 140 characters is somewhat limiting. He's, 
says this, Getty looked into their archives for the model release and came back to us with the surprising news. The model's name wasn't the name of our angry hipster hater. In other words, the guy who threatened to sue us for, mis for misusing his image wasn't the one in the photo. He misidentified himself. Gideon said this, all of which just proves the story we ran. Hipsters look so much alike that they can't even tell themselves apart from each other. <laughs> we live in a world right now where we're doing, trying to do anything to separate ourselves, but we seem, for better or worse, to find ourselves falling back into similar categories. Restore Church, we, we want to talk about who we are. How do we identify ourselves as a church. I've mentioned this. Man, there are some really great churches in Jacksonville. If you don't like our church, that's okay. Just don't tell me. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you don't like Restore, that's fine. We're going to help you. We'd love to help you find a church that's good for you and fits for you because the kingdom of God is more important to us than just one local church. But we want to talk about what it means here. Who, who are we as a church and as a congregation, and what does it mean to belong to Restore? And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about our core values. Here are our five core values. Our first one is restoration over perfection. We'll talk about this in greater detail the next coming weeks. We're going to preach about that one today, restoration over perfection. What matters to us is authenticity over hype. We don't want you to pretend. We're not going to pretend. Someone said, came in this morning, and I said it to a couple people, wow, this really looks nice. I said, you know what it looks like? It looks like a church that meets in elementary school. Because we're not trying to pretend to be anything we're not. We can't cover up the art, the really great, great, great art that's hanging on the walls. Uh, community over isolation is important to us. Excitement over entertainment. Multiplication over addition. You'll hear about those in the next couple weeks. I'm really, really excited to preach this series. I'm, I'm trying to invite you to stay tuned into this series because we've got some really big announcements we're going to make. One primarily, we're going to make a really big announcement next week. We'd love for you to be here for that. Uh, we're going to see some we're going to see some really powerful testimonials. We're going to watch a couple of videos. I'm going to preach with some of my friends uh, that is actually sitting amongst you. It might even be you. I'm just going to call you up and be like, have a seat and preach. So get ready. I'm just kidding. Um, but we're going to talk about what, our, what, what God has called our church to be. Hey, uh, if, we'd love for you to pull your Bibles out. Uh, we're going to dive into God's Word for a second. If you don't have a Bible, you've got a couple options here. You can throw your hands up, and we have a volunteer uh, who will pass out Bibles. Or is that something we missed? Did we miss that this week? We, Josh going to find some? Um, here are your other two options while Josh is trying to find some. You can download the Restore Church app and follow along with, with us there. You can download the Restore Church app, and if you click on the bulletin, you see all our announcements. You can see a Spotify link to the songs that we just sang, <clears throat> and then you can see some sermon notes and the slides that will be up there. What you're going to look for right now is Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to try to catch us up to where we are in Luke 5 to kind of help us out. Jesus is really starting to make a name for himself. The beginning of John 4, Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by, the, by Satan. 
And uh, here's a side note. It's not what this sermon's about, but if you're taking this. Oh, we got some Bibles. If you want a Bible and you'd like to follow along, just throw your hand up and don't be embarrassed. Um, it, here's, here's what's happening. Uh, Jesus uh, gets tempted by Satan. He stands his ground by quoting scripture. And so that's, the best, that's our best defense against Satan is knowing God's word. John chapter 4 starts to get interesting because Jesus leaves that and immediately walks into the synagogue to start to teach. And he stands up and he opens up one of the most, uh, one of the most common passages of scripture for every Jewish person. It's in Isaiah. He reads it and he says, basically, that's about me. I'm here. And you'd think they'd be so excited. But what they did is they chased Jesus to a cliff to try to kill him. And Jesus in the back, <laughs> Jesus got his, his heels on the edge of the cliff. And then it just says, Jesus made his way through the crowd. I just imagine, like, the force. Like, Jesus just walks through. Why can't I hit you? Don't worry about it. Then we get to John chapter 5. I mean, people are really interested in this character, this new person who just busts on the scene. He's teaching like no one else has teached. He's preaching in synagogues. He's not backing down from uh, the Jewish leaders. There's these. Two groups, uh, there's these three groups that's listed in the New Testament that really kind of push back against Jesus. There's the Pharisees, there are the Sadducees, and then sometimes the Bible call them experts in the law or teachers of the law. Um, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, okay? And we'll run into them in a minute. Then we get into John chapter 5, and Luke starts the story like this. It says, on one occasion, Jesus finds himself on the beach with a crowd around him. <clears throat> There's some fishermen over here, and they're trying to take care of their tackle after having fished all day and all night. They were more like fishing with nets. So they're tying their nets up, and they're, they're, they're uh, you know, any rips, they're trying to mend. And Jesus comes up, and he says... Basically, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. We'll get to a verse in, in a second. He paraphrases and he says, uh, can I use your boat? Because the crowd starts to press around Jesus. And it's similar to this. If I were to stand right here in the front and not have a microphone, the people in the back wouldn't be able to hear me. And if you could, you know, teaching a lot is your body language, right? And so Jesus wants everyone to be able to hear and see. So he asked these fishermen, there's Peter. His brothers, James and John, they're there. And he says, can I just use your boat to drift out just a little bit to teach? Sure. Uh, probably sound more like this. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, fine. I'm just going to finish spending my nets here. You know, like that's how fishermen are. And so he says, that, fine, sure. And so he floats out a little bit. He does some teaching. And then after the teaching, he tells Peter and the fishermen, get your stuff back out. Go out there and fish. Peter says to Jesus, we've been toiling all night. Now, I don't know about you. If you like to fish, I like to fish. And there's nothing more deflating than spending a whole afternoon or a whole morning out fishing and coming back with nothing. And then to have some... And now, now that's just me. And I, I fish, like, for fun, to relax. This is Peter. It's his job. He's deflated. He's coming in with no way to earn any money, with no way to provide for himself and whatever family he might have. And then Jesus says, get it all back out. Go back out there and cast your nets. Peter says, man, we've been doing this all night long. But this one time, I'll do it. 
They get in their boats. They go out to the same spot they've been fishing. Now, this is just insulting as a fisherman. For someone else to tell you to go back to the same spot and cast where you were just fishing, where you hadn't caught anything all day, it's like, all right, dude, I'll do it, fine, whatever, I'm going to show you, you know, and he goes back out there, he casts his net, and the Bible says that they, like, exerted themselves trying to put in all the fish so much so that their nets were about to break, and they had to call across the, across yonder across yonder to get the other boat to come over to help them to pull their fish. It was amazing. Now, in the middle of fishing, you have no other time to think about anything except your Facebook profile picture. No, you have no, you have no time to think about anything except getting the fish in the boat. That's your main priority. Don't break the line, right? Don't do anything stupid. Just get the fish into the boat. They get all these fish in the boat, and they're so excited. Yes, we're going to be able to take them in and sell them. Yes, we're going to be able to take them in and eat. But can you imagine what Peter's thinking as they're coming into the shore? Oh, my goodness. How did he know? If you're looking at your Bible, this is his exact words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Um, This is really interesting to me. Because if I came in and I did that, I would say, hey, get the biggest fish, let's take a selfie, and we can post it on Instagram. Uh, I would say, hey, are you free next Saturday? I will make sure I'm not working so we can go fishing again. Peter falls on his knees and he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Our first core value here at Restore Church is that We value restoration over perfection. If you're perfect, you don't belong here. Matter of fact, this would be a great opportunity to leave. No, don't leave. Don't leave because we have cupcakes at the end of this. Uh, No, I'm serious. We will. We have 200 cupcakes. So on your way out, everyone grab a cupcake to celebrate our birthday and take a selfie of you eating it and post it with a hashtag that says, okay. Uh, that's a long hashtag. Um, I don't know. Maybe the Lord will bless me with one more preaching. He probably won't. He's probably like, that's stupid, Roger. Get back to preaching. All right. Deal. Deal. We value uh, restoration uh, over perfection. Oh, hashtag church for the rest of us. Thanks, dog. Appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> hashtag church for the rest of us or hashtag C4RU. That's what that means. All right. We're back. We're back, Lord. We got it. We're on it. We value uh, restoration of perfection because you're not perfect, and neither am I, obviously. We, want, we believe that every person, whether you've been a Christian for 45 years, whether you've been reading the Bible longer than I've been alive, or whether you walked in this morning really not knowing if God's real or not, you might have walked in here this morning thinking, I'll give church a shot because it's in my neighborhood, and that seems cool. I'll give church a shot because they're giving their offering away. That seems like something I can be a part of. But I still don't know about this Jesus character. We all, every person here, the kids, like we all need to be restored at some point. There's no sense in trying to pretend you're perfect here, okay? So relax. Here, this morning we're going to talk about two postures of being restored. 
two postures you can make. The first one is this, a posture of worship. In a couple weeks, we're going to preach about worship. The, the core value of ours that talks about worship is excitement over entertainment. So we're going to talk about really what worship is. And really what we're going to talk about is it is a heart issue. It's not about Sunday morning singing. And it's not about how good you sing, because if it is, I would be in trouble. This morning, the worship band was singing, and I had my microphone on because I was trying to talk to people back there, and we were trying to work on some issues with our tech, and uh, I forgot I had it on, and I was singing while the worship band was singing. I was like, what is that? Oh, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> it, was, it, was not, it was not funny. You're laughing, but it wasn't. It was embarrassing. It was really bad. <laughs> Someone in the front row just said, yes, it was. It was embarrassing. <laughs> he was embarrassed for me. Um, but our status, you and I have got to know this that we are a sinner, and I don't like that because I'm kind of prideful, and I don't like messing up, and I really don't like admitting that I've messed up, and I really don't like admitting that I've messed up in front of you, right? Because I'm supposed to be a spiritual leader, and to stand up here and say that I need a savior is to admit that I have sinned and I need someone to save me, but we all do. Now, here's the thing. Peter's on his way back, and he could really be stoked about this, this um, boat full of fish and get back and go home and tell everybody else, dude, man, I filled my boat up today. But who filled Peter's boat up? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. You, didn't, you don't think Peter didn't try that area? You don't think Peter didn't think or know where to go? He's been doing this his whole life. But it was Jesus who fished or who, who knew. Man, I... I've, I've, I've fished plenty of times. And you go back one time and you'll catch fish there. You go back to the same spot and not catch fish, man. Something happened where God knew. For us, going into a mode of being restored, first of all, it takes an act of us humbling ourselves to say this isn't about the person in the chair next to me. This isn't about the person in the, the career point ahead of me. This isn't about the person behind me or the, the people serving. This isn't about uh, anything else except us and then realizing who Jesus is. Peter's figuring it out. Here's uh, in John chapter 1. Um, we, we started the year, if you're new to restore, we started the year preaching from John in January. We took a break. We're going to start that. Uh, after Easter, we're going to jump right back in. But this is what it says. Uh, next week, this will be a little bit bigger. We're working on some things, all right? This is what it says. I'll read it to you. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember, when we talk about John chapter 1, we learned that that is Jesus. The Word is Jesus. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, the person that Peter's figuring out is standing right in front of him is God. I think for us sometimes, and because of the style of church that we have, we take a pretty relaxed approach to God. When was the last time you got on your knees in a private room and just said, God, I'm, I'm a sinner no, I just called God dog, right? Like, um, there is this aspect of he's my father and there is an open relationship, but then there's an, also an aspect of God's holiness. A couple weeks ago, uh, 
a group of us, our staff, or a part of our staff, our whole staff didn't get to go. We went to Orlando at an exponential church planting conference. And the very first, they usually ease in. They usually line up like the okay speakers first. And then they bring in the heavy hitters at the end so you'll stay the whole time. The very first speaker was Francis Chan, who is incredible. And he started off by saying, do we really understand who it is we're praying to? Who it is we're worshiping. Peter figured it out. David figured it out in Psalm chapter 51. We won't read the whole thing, but we'll read a couple verses. I'll read it to you. He says this. Now, this is after David uh, had an affair with Bathsheba, killed her husband so that he could marry her and try to cover it up. This is King David, the, the like crux of the Jewish faith, right? And then he writes this in his like personal journal in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Please blot out my transgressions. Now, listen to verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever in front of me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you, might, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Uh, Peter, I mean, not Peter, David, he's in a, in a mode of, of repentance and trying to figure out where he stands in his relationship with God. He understood that he needs to be restored. Okay, we're going to do this twice this morning. We're going to pause and imagine the anticipation of what everyone expects Jesus to say to Peter. Okay, I'll get away from you. You are a sinner. You're right. Everybody see the point I'm making? Everybody see the point? I am God. I told him to go get fish. He came back. He's a sinner. Now he's going to get away from me because he's a sinner and I am God. And you know what? At this point in the Jewish faith, that's how it worked. People got away from God. What does Jesus do? In Luke chapter 5, go back to your Bible and read with me. In Luke chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, he says this. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid from now on, you will be catching men. Or your Bible might say, you will become fishers of men. Do you see what just happened? Jesus just invited a sinner into his relationship. Jesus just lifted this man up off his knees and says, man, don't, you are a sinner. Come follow me and let me restore you. You see, you need to be restored before you can start worrying about restoring others. We don't like that. You know what we want to do is we want to surf the internet and find faults in everybody else. We want to look across the room and say, I can't believe they were at church after what I saw them doing Friday night. We'd like to stand in here and be like, oh, did you see them at church? Man, their kids are crazy. And he's the pastor. You know, like that. <laughs> That's what we like to do. Uh, my kids aren't crazy. They're actually really good. 
their mom is their mom is good. That's that's what that's about. Because I'm like, dude, go go climb the tree. No, take the shirt off so I can see all your muscles, so I can live vicariously through you. <laughs> you know. Uh, and then he comes in with scratches all over his chest. What happened? I don't know. I don't know. But you see the neighbors' kids? They are bad. <laughs> we don't like to hold up the mirror and look internally, do we? We like to look out the window before we look in the mirror. I think we need to flip that, and I think followers of Christ need to do that because it's these kind of people that Jesus restores are the people who need it. And if you don't need to be restored and you're looking at everybody else like they need to be, listen, Jesus can't restore you if you don't let him. So Peter's life has now been called to a higher purpose. He needs to be restored, and he knows it, and he knew and understood that he's not perfect, but he needs someone who is, and that's Jesus. John chapter 5 continues, and it starts to get a little bit fast-paced. Jesus brings Peter and these other fishermen with him, okay? And uh, they're happy to follow him, just in case he goes fishing again. Jesus comes up on this leper. Now, let me explain what a leper is. Lepers are ostracized by the society. Don't come near us. You live over there because you're dirty. They have a flesh-eating disease that ate away at their flesh, the Jewish faith, or the, the, the Jews at the time in the first century believed that it was a punishment from God, so we don't want you, and if it's contagious, we don't want anything about it. So we're not, you, you didn't see your family, you didn't see your children, you didn't see anybody. Jesus tells his disciples, we're going to go there. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and then not only does he talk to the leper, but he touches the leper. And the leper's healed. I told myself I wasn't going to do, say this joke, but I'm going to. You guys remember the Dark Knight and Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger, who played uh, who played the Joker, and he I just can never get this out of my, my mind. He goes like a leper. <laughs> I don't know. Go watch the movie; it's a great movie. You see it. But, you want to see this pencil disappear? <laughs> He keeps going. The crowd hears about the leper. And then Jesus walks into someone's house. Hey, man, can I teach here? Sure. That house fills up really quickly. But there's someone who needs to get in there. He's paralyzed, and his friends want this man to be healed. Hey, that's a good mark of a good friend is someone who brings you to Jesus so you can be healed. And they can't get in the house. And a paralyzed man can't move through the house. So you know what they did? They dug a hole in the ceiling because it was that important. They lowered him down, and Jesus healed the paralyzed man with just his words, and he said, get up and walk. I mean, Jesus is really starting to get a reputation for being somebody. Now, some are figuring him out to be God and restorer. Other people are finding him to be a blasphemer and really starting to upset the religious atmosphere in the first century. John, or Luke chapter 5 continues, and we find verse 27. Now, this is where we'll read together. So we're uh, reading verse 27. Oh, I got these new Bibles, and they're ESV, so they don't fit that. Next week, I'll probably go back to NIV. I just wanted to use them, so thanks for letting me do that. Verse 27. After this, he went out, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose, and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled 
at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Um, Levi. Levi is a Jewish name, but what's really insulting is that he's a tax collector. He's working for Rome. This is not cool. It's like he has betrayed everything he's ever grown up to know. Tax collectors took advantage of everyone. They didn't care what color you were. They didn't care if you were rich or poor. They were going to take advantage of you because if they could charge you a little bit more, that's how much more Rome made. That, that would mean they would get a promotion. And they got to put a little bit of money in their pocket too. Tax collectors were not seen fondly of. People hated tax collectors. But yet Jesus walks up to this tax collector and he says the same words he invited Peter to come follow me. Now they're having a Jewish meal. They're sitting around. Well, I don't know if it's a Jewish meal, but it's a first century meal. And I would imagine that Levi or Matthew, the author of of Matthew, who wrote Matthew in the Bible, he invites Jesus to his house. I imagine he cooked a Jewish meal for them because they they were Jews. Now, when it says they were reclining at the table, it doesn't mean like your table and my table, the way we sit down and eat. They actually laid it on the floor. And so when they were eating, they were literally reclining, laying back, just chilling, talking. It's a real big reason why they wash their feet when they come in. It's so that when they're around the table, uh, if you were to put your feet there, I guess they wouldn't, they wouldn't be dirty. So they're reclining at the table. The table is mixed of Jesus, Peter, his brother, James and John. He just invited Levi to follow him. Levi says, okay, sure, yeah, I'll do. I'll pick up and follow you. Um, and then there busts on the scene these religious men. What are you doing? You are eating. You are Jewish, and you are eating with tax collectors. That's awful. And sinners. This tax collectors and sinners is not talking about two different groups of people. These religious people are pointing out, you're sitting with tax collectors, and you can do like... Uh, a semicolon, and they're also sinners. What are you doing? Again, let's pause. Here's the second time. Let's pause and say, man, what could Jesus say here? Jesus really has a great opportunity to save his reputation. He really has a good opportunity to say, you're right, my bad. (laughs) I don't know what I was doing. Um... These people, and then he stands up and he, he might look at him and be like, you are sinners. You, you know what, religious people, you're right. My, re- my reputation matters more than anything else. He's like, you guys, only part of you are Jewish. Levi, you gave up that Jewish right when you started working for Rome. I, I don't want anything to do with you. Race is playing, could play a role. Jesus is like, I'm Jewish, you're not. Man, I'm so glad we don't deal with race issues anymore in our culture. I'm glad that was only first century, right? Yeah, absolutely not. But we believe the Bible has answers. Um, your background, he looks at these guys is like, dude, I, I know about you. I, I can't sit and eat with you, dude. I, I know about you, ma'am. 
I know about your record, and I know about your college days. Um, and maybe you're sitting there thinking the same thing, like, this sounds good, dude. I, I, could, I could follow Jesus, but you just don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my career, what my career has made me do. You don't know what I think about at night. You don't know what I think about you right now. You don't know what I think about Jesus or God. Dude, I'm just here because my family made me be here. I think church is stupid. It's a waste of time. I'm uncomfortable right now. You know what? This whole God thing, I'm out. Jesus really has an opportunity to stand up and let people like you and people like me who had the same thoughts sitting in church really have it. I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus might say. But what does Jesus say? Look at verse 31 and 32. Remember the question that they ask, why, are, why, are you, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? They're sinners. And Jesus answered them like this, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous to, uh, I have not come to call the righteous but I've come to call sinners to repentance. It's really easy for us to sit on the side of Jesus here. I mean, what did Jesus say? Jesus says, look, I didn't, uh, well, wealth, people who have wealth, no, health, people who are healthy, they don't need a doctor. People who are well, they don't need a doctor. But people who are sick do. He says, I haven't come to call you the righteous you don't need to be restored. They do, but I've come to call sinners. Here's good news. That's me. And that's you also. And Jesus has come for us. Now, in that meeting, you got to honestly say, you're sitting around the dinner table, what side are you falling on? Because here's the second posture of being restored is you have, your heart break, your heart has to break for sinners. What I mean is, we've already said it, we're all sinners, right? You're going to go to Walmart after this, and it's going to be jam-packed full of people, and that's your own fault for going on a Sunday afternoon. But instead of getting mad at the person in front of you, who's in the same line you are, and whose husband might have just came home and said, look, I... I don't want to do this anymore. And you're mad because she forgot mayonnaise in aisle six and has to go back and get it. That's pretty religious. Um, you're going to leave here and someone's going to cut you off, but what you don't know is they're in a hurry to get to the hospital, maybe just to spend a couple more minutes with somebody. But you give them the uh, wave and blow them a kiss because that's what I'm sure you all do. And you get mad, you talk to them, don't you? You know, I, I can't believe, why would you, you know, and signals. Here's a signal for you. <laughs> Let me ask you, when you think of other people who are not perfect, is your first response comparison? To compare them to your spiritual life? Or is it Compassion. When you think of other sinners, is your first thought to have pity on them? Aww. Or is it to have empathy and try to care and love somebody? 
Is it judgment? Or do you try to stand in the gap and defend them? Do you try to create a story for them? Oh, this jerk, he did that on purpose. Or do you try to discover their story and figure out what's going on? Because that's what we're about here. We want to know your story. We want to know what's going on because our heart breaks for you. You've been a Christian for 100 years. You're a sinner, and our heart breaks for what's going on in your life. You walked in this morning, and you're like, I don't belong here. You do. And we love you. And we want to defend you. We want to care for you. We want to feel with you because your story matters to Jesus. Uh, we're going to wrap up in a second, but I want to show you this passage. It's in Micah. It's one of the books. It's one of the cleaner pages in your Bible because you don't read Micah. Who does? Micah was a prophet that God used to deliver bad news to Jewish people. Okay? Not, you know, don't shoot the messenger kind of deal. That would have come from someone like Micah. In verse 6, he's like, man, I, I, I'm having this hard time with you, Lord. And you got, you got fathers out here who are hating their sons and mothers out here kind of hating their daughters. Then he writes this. Listen, this is, this is great. But for, as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. You, you might need to write this on your mirror to get pumped up in the morning. Uh, rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Verse 9, li listen to verse 9. Because, because of all of that, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until what? Until God pleads my cause and upholds my, or until God pleads my case and upholds my cause. This doesn't make sense. Imagine the courtroom. Who's the judge? It's God because he's about to bear the Lord's wrath. But then who's the defendant? It's us. We've sinned against the Lord, but who's our lawyer? It's God. I'm bearing the Lord's wrath until he steps into a courtroom and pleads my case and until he upholds my cause. It's like he can cause the pain, but he's just going to choose not to. Yesterday we were building a shed, and sometimes tools get a little loose in your hands when they're sweaty. And There are a lot of people who are doing a lot of different things at the same time. And uh, we're on the roof, and there's, there's a husband and wife pair there, okay? And uh, the husband is working on the front side of the roof, and the wife is putting on the trim. So he's up on a ladder, and the wife is under it, and then a handsaw starts to fall out of his hand toward the back of her neck. And my man goes like this, and just snatches it, and we just looked at each other like, oh, my goodness. And I'd looked at him, and I was like, dude, can I use that in my sermon tomorrow? And he was like, sure, I don't know, I don't, sure. The same person who could cause so much pain for us is the one who's catching our wrath instead. And he says, I will stand and defend you 
I am on your side. Here's what our roles are. As, here's what our roles are in being in valuing restoration over perfection. The first thing is you have got to understand that you have to be restored. And it is a constant process. Look in the mirror instead of out the window. And the second thing is you are a defender of those who need to be restored. We are not the plaintiff. We are not the one who are pointing judgment. We are not the one who are sending people to hell. We're not going to picket sinners. We are going to save them with the love of Jesus, and that's why we're here. So you're asking me, man, I'm not really good at defending people who look different than me, who think different than me, who vote differently than I do. Here's how you can start. You can start by praying for them. Just go home today and pray. You can start by inviting people to church. And while church isn't the end goal, it certainly is a great starting point. You can start by, hey, this is a little, uh, this is shameless plug. Start by signing up to erase the Because what we're doing here is creating room for people to hear the gospel. What we're doing here is, is uh, dude, check this out. In, in all of our aspects, you might say, man, parking, um, that's, that's stupid. We don't need that. Well, here's the thing. is people are uncomfortable who don't go to church, they're uncomfortable coming to church. And the first thing they pull into is a, a full parking lot. Our whole society has anxiety. <laughs> they're going to pull right out and go home. Right? And they need to hear that, that there's a church that loves them and there's a Jesus who loves them. So you want to start helping by defending the sinners? Be a part of the parking lot team. How about being part of the first impressions team? You guys are beautiful. You're the first people I would want to see when I walk into church. We always say this, you can hide a 200-pound man who's uncomfortable in church behind a cup of coffee. Um, man, we want, to, we want church to be a comfortable place for people, and you can do that by erasing the red. Just down this hallway... We're raising the next generation of Christ followers. Who don't want to be a part of that? I do. I would, I've asked Kendra, how can I teach in the village? And she says, you can't. I was like, you can't tell me. I'm the boss. And then she's like, no, you're not. You think you are, but you're not. There are opportunities out there for you to defend the lost, defend those who are far from God, defend those who don't have a relationship with God. And maybe you're that. Maybe you're in your chair today and you're like, man, I'm so far from God. Uh, man, I, I, I don't even know where to begin. We want to defend you. We, we want to talk to you. We, we want to walk you through what it looks like to love Jesus and live for Jesus. We talk about this meal that God has or that, that Jesus has with these disciples. And um, there's a meal that God's created for all of us sinners to gather around. We call that communion. Um, in a second, we're going to get up and, and we're going to go to our different, we, we've got different stations. We, we do communion. Hey, everyone probably should hear this because we're doing it differently in this space. If, you're at, if you were with us at the conference center two spots ago, this will seem comfortable to you. There's, everybody follow me? Flight attendant status here. There are two here. There are two back here. We'll keep going, two more. And two more in the back. 
And so um, here's, here's what we recognize this time is that Jesus died so that we could be restored, so we could have a new life. And so that perfection is no longer the goal, but a relationship with Jesus is. And we take his cracker, we're going to take his cracker back to our seat. And um, we're going to remember the body of Jesus that was broken for us. It was beaten and bruised and spit on and embarrassed and shamed. We're going to take a cup of juice. That's all it really is. But it represents Jesus' blood that's poured out from his hands, his feet, uh, his head. For you and because of you. Defending you, but also because of your iniquity and your sin. But he did it anyway. He loved you anyway. And he went to the cross for you. And so this is like the epitome of a meal with sinners. (laughs) And I wouldn't want to have the meal of communion with any other sinners (laughs) except you. We're also going to have a couple, we're going to have a moment here where we respond to who God is. We're going to ask you to worship with the band. We're going to sing one more song together. We're going to ask you to pray. Maybe it's been a real long time since, since you've prayed before. Uh, this is a great opportunity to do it. Uh, any members of our prayer team who would like to participate, if, if you want someone to pray for you, our prayer team is going to stand in the back uh, on the, against the wall. And we can get up to communion. It's a perfect time for you to just kind of drift back and, and sit with them, uh, talk with them, pray with them. Um, if you, uh, so we want you to worship, to pray, uh, to give. Today's a great opportunity to give, man. It's going to something bigger than we are. Um, but we want you to think about giving your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to be restored, and you need to take that first step. Here's the thing. I'm going to be back there with the prayer team. And if that's you, when we get up here in a second, to go back while you're taking communion, if, or everybody else take communion, if you want to start talking about giving your life to Jesus, um, I'll be back there. Our prayer team's back there if you need someone to pray with you. Um, as far as communion goes, you're going to get up, you're going to grab it and take it back to your seat. If you're uncomfortable taking communion, we're not going to force that on anybody. We'd love for you to just stay in your seat, maybe think about the words that we preached about. If you uh, haven't given your life to Jesus and, and you don't want to take communion, that's cool too. We love that you're here and we want you to be here. Maybe you need to sit and think about uh, giving your life to Jesus. But for us as Christ followers, this is really important for us. This is one thing that has stayed constant since we've launched is we take communion every single Sunday to remember what Jesus has done for us. If you've done this with us at Restore Church, would you, uh, would you please lead the way uh, for us? Our guests can follow you.